It is so good to be here in this wonderful atmosphere of family and worship and presence, and it's good. It's just good to be here. And uh, of course, to have with me my partner in crime against the kingdom of darkness. And so um, we enjoy we enjoy spiritual warfare. It's fun. And um, when you see people delivered, set free, and uh, they come in empty and leave full, come in broken and go healed, you just want to have an atmosphere like that. And to come into a place like this where you don't have to work anything up, it's already happening, and this is a happening place, and uh, it's amazing that it's in Amish country as a happening place, and that's the kind of dichotomy and irony that I think we're going to begin to see in the body of Christ and so, so grateful to, to be friends with Yuri and Amanda. And we had some great times with them and heard the whole story, the narrative. Last, yesterday had spaghetti for the fourth time in this week. <laughs> but it was so good and the fellowship made it even better. Uh, you need to pray for your pastor. He has this bent toward peppers and hot things. and So maybe there's a healing in store for, for uh, some of us. But it's a joy to be here. And uh, Barbara and we brought with us some companions who've been with us involved in ministry since, the, I guess, the, well, for you, mid-80s, and for you, mid-70s, and so, and then, of course, this young man, this is Dennis, um, he's a little shorter than Clarence, if you met Clarence during fire in the hills, that would have been a great time, but he's been in my life for a number of years, and so we're so grateful, he's a pastor, leader, incredible teacher, wonderful musician, but nobody like this lady here, she's my best friend, and my worst adversary, uh, so... So I, <laughs> but she knows, she knows how, when she calls me Joseph, I know it's all over. So please don't call me Joseph today, all right? Come on, she's going to greet you and pray for you and just share whatever God's put on her. Well, we've never talked about divorce, but murder a couple times. Hallelujah. <laughs> We will celebrate our 52nd wedding anniversary in September. Amen. So I celebrate that. Hallelujah. But I wanted to say when uh, the pastor was talking about resurrection life, two years ago we were in Buffalo, New York, and the Lord gave me that word for the conference that we were going to begin to raise the dead. And during that season, there were several people that was raised from the dead out of that meeting. And here when the football player was raised just not too long ago, it was in Buffalo, New York. And of course, yeah, I said he was, yeah, the team that he played for was Buffalo. But we got a phone call that the prophetic word had been fulfilled in the sense that it was beginning. So I want you to know as a church, we are going to raise the dead. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so, as the pastor said, death is not the entryway to heaven. Jesus is. So we don't have to die to go to heaven. So be aware of your surroundings and don't be afraid to pray and command life back into those bodies that we're going to be able to raise to the glory of God. Hallelujah. Years ago, we were in South Africa and gathered in a room with some really great leaders in South Africa, dignitaries, and sitting next to me was a young African evangelist about maybe 20, 22, 23 years old. So somebody whispered to me, they said, this young man has raised several people from the dead. And um, 
And I thought, man, that's powerful. But I didn't want to ask him about it. So another guy sitting next to me, one of the older uh, senior citizens in the kingdom there, he leaned over and he said, I hear you've raised people from the dead. He said, yes, sir. He said, yes, sir. And then he asked the guy, he said, haven't you raised anyone from the dead? <laughs> and I'm glad I didn't ask the question. <laughs> so he said, well, I haven't. He said, he said, well, how do you do that? He said, fuss, you pray. And I thought, yeah, you got to start with prayer if you're going to raise the dead. So what she's saying to you is that if you get an opportunity, don't look around and say, is there anybody who can do this? If there's nobody else who can do it, then you're the person. She's going to pray for me, and we're going to raise the dead. Father, it's in the precious name of Jesus that we thank you for this wonderful family that we've been united to. And we thank you for the word that's going to be delivered uh, this morning. We ask that every heart be touched and every direction be changed that's going in the wrong way. We're asking, Lord, that you would use the bishop to speak your word to this congregation, to a congregation that loves you with all of their hearts. And we celebrate the victory that's going to happen here today in the precious name of Jesus. I love you, Bishop. Next to Jesus, you're the most important person in my life. Amen. Hallelujah. We, we brought some resources with us, and uh, somebody told me a long time ago, no matter how much time you have, you can't tell it all. So we brought it all with us, and uh, they're on various cards. Each one of these cards has about 20 messages on it, and um, on warfare, wealth, worship, the will of God, and, of course, words. Words change atmospheres, and so... And then, of course, the most famous book I've ever written. It's the best book I've ever read on worship that I wrote. And, um, and it's, they're using it in a lot of churches and a lot of Bible schools as a, as a textbook on worship. Worship, the pattern of things in heaven. And then a CD. And um, if you get the right card, you'll get the book and the CD on one of those. So we, we're grateful for technology. We used to carry a whole large suitcase full of eight tracks and then, <laughs> and then cassettes and all of that stuff. And now we've reduced it to just one card that you can download. And man, I love the Lord. All right. Tell someone next to you, say, I don't know what he's going to talk about, but it's really going to be good. All my life you have been faithful All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God Sing that with me All my life you have been faithful All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God I love you, Lord For your mercy never fails All my days I've been held in your hand From the moment that I wake up Until I lay my head I will sing of the goodness of God All my life All my life you have been free Your voice. I love your voice. 
Adjusting all of that sweet stuff, and and then the testimonies of Jesus, that the spirit of prophecy, and then having an opportunity to minister to you guys today, it's just been great. But on that occasion, it was so much work: a Saturday morning meeting, a Saturday night meeting, a Sunday morning meeting, a Sunday after meeting, and two meetings Saturday night. So when the pastor dismissed the service, I was finished, and so I ran to the green room. I had to work my way through a crowd. And I felt this guy tapping me on the back saying, Bishop Garlington, Bishop Garlington. I said, I'm not turning around. And so I, I ran. I just burst through the crowd and I acted like I didn't hear him. But he came into the green room. <laughs> he said, didn't you hear me calling you? And, you know, when people ask you a question like that, you know that there's an answer that you could give, but you don't want to. And so I learned a long time ago, a lie is an abomination before God, but a very present help in trouble. And, um, but on that occasion, I just decided I, I just, I didn't say anything. He said, but I wanted to give you something. And I looked at him and I said, didn't feel like it when you were hitting me. And so he had a, he had an envelope in his hand. And when he handed it to me, it was a thick envelope filled with money. And I thought of that chorus. Your goodness is running after, running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I surrender now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after. goodness. Your goodness is running after, running after me. Your, hey, stop, stop, stop. Uh, see, we don't have drums, and you're not clapping. So we have, you, I know you guys were, so here, I'll, I'll give this to you because you were clapping. So. Right. Now, those who clap from now on, you need to know that that's not going to happen again. It's just, it's just, it was just a spontaneous moment. Come on. Come on. Sing. Your goodness. Your goodness is running after. It's running after me. Your goodness is running after. It's running after me. With my life laid down, I surrender now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, running after me. All my life, all my life, you have been faithful. All my life, you have been so, so good. Every breath that I am able, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. 
Thank you, Father, for opening your great big heart to us. Thank you for what you have already determined you're going to do in this community. Light the fires. Turn up the heat. Open heaven's gates. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, amen. Yesterday morning, I was in a meeting, and it was a conference. They called it an increase conference. Amazing young man was sharing. And uh, he closed his message with three things that he said, I believe God's calling us to. And he said, one of them is radical obedience. Second is radical faith. And the third is radical giving. Radical obedience, radical faith, radical giving. I want to talk about quantum appointments. Quantum moments. You ever been in a meeting where it just looks like it's normal? And um, I was in a conference and and um, a wonderful musician was ministering, plays a trumpet, and he doesn't have the kind of voice that some singers have, but he's got a voice. And, um, and I've been watching all the things that were going on on the platform, how his engineers and everybody was moving parts, a lot of moving parts going on. And so I'm, in, I'm looking at this because I'm a musician and I do stuff like that. And I'm watching that. And, uh, and then all of a sudden he started singing, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Yes, I do. Does it sound like that? Jesus, I love And I'm just listening. I'm thinking. And all of a sudden, I felt Jesus sitting next to me in that auditorium. And, um, and nothing else mattered in, in particular. And one of the ways you recognize when Jesus is sitting next to you, your, your eyes fill up. And your sinuses and uh, you need several tissues uh, to help you to deal with the anointing. And I sat there, and it, and it just dawned on me that you can be in a moment in God, and all of a sudden you're in another moment. And the challenge is to get to those moments and recognize them when they're there. There's a line in the movie Field of Dreams in which the doctor is trying to describe what it was like to have an opportunity that he thinks he's going to have again. And he said, so often we miss the most significant moments in our lives while they're happening. We think, he said, that there'll be other times, but we didn't realize that, that this was the only time. It happened to me on the floor in Toronto in 1994. We were, we just moved into a house and, um, and we had a, a carpenter who was remodeling, or actually he was outfitting the, the basement so that we could have room to do some of the things we wanted to do. And, and he, was a, he was a terrible mess. The heater was on, the furnace was blowing, and he was using a saw, cutting wood, and we had just cleaned upstairs. And the, 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 the then just started dragging all of this stuff through. And I just, I just said, man, I can't stay here. So I said, Barbara, you got this. And I went to Toronto. <laughs> Easier to get forgiveness than permission. <laughs> so I'm in Toronto. I'm there because they told me that there was a revival going on. And so I got there and... And um, I saw things that were familiar to me, and I thought, well, I saw this when I was a kid growing up and in the, in the African-American church. Some people called it the colored church. Some people called it the Negro church. Um, some call it the African-American church. And there were some other names that they called us, but I won't mention those. But in those moments when we would have encounters with God, God would have encounters with us. And, and he would express himself through us sometimes 
with movements and shaking and stuff like that. When I was a teenager, I, I hit the floor. I mean, the Holy Spirit just rolled me back and forth on the floor, and I thought, so So this is what it means to be a holy roller. And I thought. Well, so when I get to Toronto, they're doing all the stuff that we did in Buffalo, New York, when I was a kid growing up. And the thing was, that was interesting to me was that when we were doing it, they called it emotionalism. But when they were doing it, the white folks, they called it revival. <laughs> I guess it would have been revival for white folks because they didn't do stuff like that. Uh, I, I do need to tell you, just as a disclosure, uh, that... Uh, I have four sons, and all four of my sons married white girls, so I get to talk about white people <laughs> in a way other people can't do that. Anyway, that's a whole different story, so I'm, I'm, I'm attitudinal because I don't like it. I said, how's oh, that revival and white people are doing it and emotionalism and black people are doing it? And I feel like God just simply said, hey, look, you need to get your attitude right and get in on this thing, and so... I was standing there and I asked Carol or not, I said, would you pray for me? She said, sure. She prayed for me. She didn't know who I was. I was there in disguise. I didn't tell anybody I was a bishop, that I was involved with Promise Keepers, that I was an author. None of that stuff. They didn't know me. I had glasses on, a cap, and a beautiful sheepskin jacket. I was incognito. So she prayed for me. And when she prayed for me, I just, I just went down on the, onto the floor. And I just lay on the floor, and I just started to weep. And I heard Carol say, oh, Father, just heal this man of all of his rejection. And I'm thinking, she doesn't know me. I don't have rejection. I ain't got no rejection. You don't know me, lady. Now, I'm crying and I'm talking to her, but she can't hear me because it's all on, on the inside. I ain't got no rejection. And, but she kept on saying it, and I kept on saying it. And I said, stop saying it. I got rejection. And then finally, the Holy Spirit said, I heard him say these words. You can take my point of view or your point of view. He says, if you take my point of view, I'll heal you. If you keep the one that you have, you'll go away from here the same way you came. And I think, and let me put it like this. God will give you a choice many times, but it won't be much. And as he was saying that to me, I had the sense of a wide door that began to my right as I'm laying on my side like this, crying. And this wide door was moving this way. And as it moved to my left, over my body, it kept getting narrower and narrower. And I realized, I need to make a decision here. And then I heard myself say, I'll take your view. And he took my word for it. When I took his view, which was not Carol's, but Carol being used by the Holy Spirit, I started to, I thought I was crying before. I did. I did. I mean, it was, it was just a gentle, you know, just a, a bishopy kind of cry, you know, just <laughs> with with dignity. It's just kind of like dignity. Uh, but when I said your view, there's a verse in Genesis seven. It says, "When the fountains of the great deep were broken open, then the, then the heavens were open." And I'm telling you, I didn't. I had no idea. I had that many fountains in my. And I started to cry. I just cried and I cried. I cried and I just cried. And, and, it, and it was what you would call ugly crying. And I could just see all these people who had been standing when I was went, went down on the floor. They were all standing around. There were no black people in the room at all. It's just me and all those white people. It's like a, a black guy peeing a bowl of rice. And so you get the picture. <laughs> And then in my imagination, I could just feel these people feeling sorry for me. Poor black man, he's experienced so much rejection. And I couldn't argue with them because I had. A, ah. And about two hours later, I'm left in the room with the janitor who is running the vacuum cleaner. And 
It's essentially saying to me, hey, look, as soon as you're done, we both can leave. And so I got up, went to my hotel, and I sat on the side of the bed, and I said to God, what in the fatal fire happened to me? He never said anything. The next morning, I'm in the service, and the songs that I hated the night before were beautiful in the morning after. I can see clearly now that the pain is gone. And I thought, this is, this is amazing. I never that song. And they had this one song, and I had to tell you this one. It was, mercy is falling, is falling, is falling. Mercy is falling. Have you ever guys heard that song? Like the sweet spring rain. Mercy is falling, is falling all over me. Hey ho, I receive your mercy. And so we were singing that song, and I, I said, I love this song. So when you take a revival song back to people who haven't been in the revival, it doesn't sound the same way. And so one of the guys said, You know, Pastor, we can't sing that song in this neighborhood. And I said, Why? He said, Because you don't say, Hey ho. I received your mercy, and I just said, so, <laughs> are, you, are you okay? Say, look at somebody say, revival is real, but you got to work on your jargon. That moment for me was life-changing. It was life-changing because I embraced it. I received it. And in receiving it, even without understanding the implications, I want to say to you, since 1994, that moment, everybody say that moment, that moment marked my life forever. And I've been hungry for presence, hungry for revival. Being in a place in and not seeing revival, being in a place and realizing, boy, ain't no revival here at all. <laughs> and, uh, and then feel like, well, where is it? But whenever you found it, whenever you were someplace and you sensed the presence of God, you wanted, I call those, I call those quantum moments. It's that moment sitting in that church and uh, listening to this guy sing, Jesus, I love you, Jesus, I love you, and realizing that was a quantum moment. Had another moment on a plane. We just experienced a great moment in our worship service, and I was flying from Pittsburgh to L.A. and uh, sat down in the, in the seat, and, and Jesus sat next to me in the seat next to me, even though there was a person there. And he said, hey, I love you, man. I said, I love you too, Jesus. He says, no, no, I really love you. And I said, Jesus, I really love you. But Jesus, this is not going to work, not here on the plane. And he ignored me. And I said, hey, look, Jesus, if you can just wait. I mean, I, I really want to respond. If you can just wait, when the plane takes off, I'll go back to the restroom. And, and um, the, the, the plane took off. And before I realized it, they had closed the, the curtain to the first class. And, um, and they had the cart in the aisle before you could get to the bathroom. And now I'm stuck. Because I want to respond, but I don't know how to. And then I realize, you know what? I will never see any of these people again. And why should I miss a moment? Because they don't know how to respond to Jesus like I'm going to respond to Jesus. And so at that time, this was before COVID, uh, I reached up into the overhead and I got me three blankets. I put one across my legs, wrapped one around my body, and I put the other one over my head, fastened my seatbelt, and I said, now, Jesus, what were you saying? <laughs> it's a four-hour flight to L.A. from Pittsburgh. I don't know what took place for three hours. But when I landed, I'd had an encounter. It was a quantum moment. Quantum moments don't come when you choose them. They choose you. And when you miss them, you miss something significant. That God wants to meet us. The problem with Israel, Jesus says, you did not recognize the time of your visitation.
kind of moments are described like this. They are surprising. Would you say that? Surprising. Everybody say that. Unexpected, uninvited, and unforeseen. Toronto, on the floor when I was a little kid, are the moments in my life meeting Barbara. Barbara and I met in Canton, Ohio, about 50, almost 52 years ago. She was there because God had told her to come, and it was about the kingdom of God. I was there because I was preaching. When I saw her in the back of the church, she lived in Weirton, West Virginia, and I saw her sitting in the back of the church, and she was gorgeous. And I thought of that verse in Psalm 23. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, and I see what I want. And, um, and <laughs> like, like the rest, as we say, and the rest was history. Surprising, unexpected, uninvited, and unforeseen. Almost 52 years married, as she said, never discussed divorce. Murder came up several times. But I just want uh, full disclosure, I never brought up the word. So it, it was in there. It was in the conversation, but I never used it. <laughs> Quantum moments are benevolent. In other words, they come with feelings of peace, serenity, and bliss. The fourth quality of a quantum moment is that it never goes away. It never goes away. Remember that moment that you had a significant encounter with the Lord. And for you, maybe it was the first time, but that first time, it stays with you for life. And there are moments in your life when you can go back to that moment and, and relive that moment just as though you are in it right now. We serve a God who is eternal, who has no concern about time but we do. And I want to just point out several things that I think you guys need to embrace in the season that God's called you to. And I want you to say this word, I live under the yes. Say it again. I live now make it corporate. We live. We live under the yes. Say it again. Say it to the person next to you. We live on our honeymoon. My wife and I, we were reading a book. Actually, I was reading the book and I came across this phrase. And the phrase was, God, if you're doing anything on the earth, I want to be a part of it. And I said, Barbara, what do you think? She says, I like that. I said, Come on, let's pray that. She says, You go ahead and lead us in prayer. And so I said, fine. I said, Lord, if you do anything on earth, we want to be a part of that. 30 days after praying that prayer, we were kicked out of the Pentecostal denomination that we were a part of for casting out demons and lengthening legs, all the things that Derek Prince had taught us to do. And they, they were upset about it. And, and I couldn't figure out, well, why? God, why would you let them do that to us? This is so unfair. This is so unfair. And, uh, and, and I couldn't work my way around that until years later because perspective doesn't come in the moment that you're dealing with something. It's almost always after. You look back and you realize, oh, that's what God was doing. Yeah. And I said, yes. And so later on what I discovered because when, when we prayed that prayer, a, a doorway of opportunity was open. Someone said it like this. Uh, when God shuts a door, he opens another door. And then I heard another friend say, yes, and when God shuts a door, he opens another door, but it's hell in the hallway. So between the closed door and the open door, there's some stuff that you have to go through because God, God's dealing with you. He's changing things in your life. And, and years later, we look back on it and we have this expression. What's your name, sir? Mark. Mark, Barbara and I had this expression because we've had, some, we've had some moments in life when we wished that had never happened. And we're telling people about it and they're laughing. It's funny to them. And I said, I said was it funny when we went through that? She says, not that I remember. 
So we've developed this saying, if it's going to be funny later, it's funny now. So we laughed in the moment that we think, this is a bad moment. We had a couple just a couple of weeks ago. But the point is, it's learning that whatever you think is the worst thing going on, you haven't experienced the worst thing yet. But it's coming. And we look back and realize, had we not prayed that prayer, we wouldn't be here today. There are things that are going on in my life, events, opportunities, ministry opportunities, things that I've done, things that I never dreamed would be possible. Right now, I'm enjoying the peace of God. And I just said, God, when I prayed, whatever you're doing on the earth, I want to be a part of that. Why did you move me from that place? He said, because I wasn't doing anything there. I said, oh, good. Radical moments. Radical moments. That was a radical moment. San Diego, California. Radical moment. Go with me, please, to Acts chapter 3. You can use any Bible you want except the Jehovah's Witness Bible. Acts chapter 3. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. A man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, and to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and praising, leaping and praising God. And the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Drop down with me, please, to verse 17. And now, brothers... I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore. Everybody say repent. Say repent again. Say it nice and loud. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. There are two words for time in this text. One is the classic word from which we get the normal passage of time, chronology or chronos. That chronos is one, two, three, four, five, six. Kairos is the other word. Kairos is not related to the, the passage of time. It's related to a moment in time, a moment in chronos when something takes place. So a friend of mine described it like this. It's, it's like tick, tock, tick, tock, tick. Kairos, Kronos, bam. When, when Kairos happens, it's an interruption, it's a disruption. Something takes place that you couldn't anticipate, you couldn't expect. They did not recognize the Kairos of the visitation. There are many times that churches have experienced visitation, but they couldn't handle it. We say we want revival, but we know what kind of revival we want. It's the kind that we can control. 
the kind that we can manage. There's a great, great man of God. He's in heaven now. He was called the Billy Graham of uh, South Africa. And uh, he said, he was telling me, he said, we had revival and it lasted for three months. He says, and you couldn't get a, a drink of whiskey anywhere. He says, everything was closed. He said, and then it was gone. He said, a few years later, it came back again and it lasted for six months. And he says, and then it was gone. And he said, I asked God, I said, God, why does it keep coming and going? He said, because you keep trying to control it. He says, if you will leave it alone, it'll last a whole lot longer. And they walked and lived in revival in South Africa during the seasons of apartheid when multiracial groups would gather under the glory of God because people know the glory. And if they, if they don't know it, when they get there, they're just simply saying, this is what I've been looking for all my life. And they've embraced that. When, when quantum moments come, when kairos moments come, when, when a kairos moment comes, it's, it's like someone who says, opportunities of a lifetime must be seized in the lifetime of the opportunity. And many times, God will give us something that we want, but if it doesn't look like what I wanted, then I tend to say, I'm not sure. Jesus didn't look like anything that anybody wanted. It just didn't. It, but there was something that he could say that got past that residue, that, that, that century that guards the right brain that says, if we don't understand it, you're not getting in here. And sometimes the best way to get past the rigidity of the right brain is to use worship. Because worship takes you to another place. It takes the right brain, and the right brain will say, here, let's sing this song. We're going to teach you this song. And the song it takes over to the right brain, and it takes information to the right brain that you could not have gotten past the right brain to get to it. Are you there? Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill. And then when he comes, he goes, God, what are you doing? He said, you just invited me to come. Yeah, but what's all this stuff? He said, it's the stuff I bring when I come. <laughs> yeah, but I feel like I'm drunk. He said, yeah, that's part of it. And then I got this crazy words that are coming out of my mouth. He said, that's part of it too. What are those words? He says, that's me pouring through you stuff that your brain doesn't have sense enough to pray. But people are making fun of me. He said, that's part of it too. And so it's deciding that when he comes. And the thing that I'm, I love about this passage is that when the religious leaders saw that particular action take place, they said a notable miracle has taken place and we cannot just sweep this away. I believe we are living in a season in this world and in this particular I feel like just God picks places. He chooses places based upon a whole lot of reasons but whenever he chooses a place you got to say that's the place. And you don't just say, God, why can't we do this? I got friends in Hawaii, and we've been there in ministry, and they just simply say, why don't you and Barbara come to Hawaii and start a church? I love Hawaii. And I said, I can't come. They said, why? I said, because my favor is in Pittsburgh. And I can't move my favor. God will give you a season. And I, when I got to Pittsburgh, I had come back to Pittsburgh from California. California is the place you ought to be. Beverly Hills, swimming pools, movie stars. I was there. I was enjoying them. And then seminary. And then the Lord told Barbara, you guys are going back to Pittsburgh. And she said, well, you're going to have to tell Joseph because he's not going to hear that from me. I barely heard it from him. So I went back to Pittsburgh. I said yes to the Lord, but... I had my heels dug in, but I, I went anyway. And you could see these tracks where my heels are dug in all the way. And I would be in Pittsburgh, and I would say to people, God must really want me in Pittsburgh because he knows how much I hate cold weather. I hate cold weather. I hate cold weather. And I said it one time too many. 
And then the Lord said, son, I said, yes, sir. He said, if I want you in Pittsburgh, you ought to count it a privilege to be there. I said, yeah, that's right. I do, God, I count it a privilege. I would rather be in the finest, and then I put it like this, I would rather be in Pittsburgh than in the finest hospital in Hawaii. In the will of God, in the favor of God, accomplishing what God's given you to accomplish, experiencing things that you could never experience had you not accepted his choice for your life. And when God chooses a moment, and the thing I love about this, this passage here is that it's the hour of prayer. It's a moment. It's a chronological moment when they say, where are you going? Oh, it's our prayer. And they're on their way to the hour of prayer. And they see this guy sitting there. And I promise you, he's been sitting there for a long time, even before Jesus died. And he's sitting there. And he says to these guys, alms, please. And they fix their attention on him because it's a moment that the Holy Spirit is saying, pay attention to this moment. What's he asking for? He's asking for something you don't have. But give him what you do have. And Peter says, hey, we're just coming from Pentecost convention. We don't have any money. And he said, well, you missed that. All right. So silver and gold we don't have, but such as I have, I give to you. What Barbara is saying to us is that we have a such as I have. You will never know it until you exercise, until you release it. They looked at this guy. Look on us. Yes. He's thinking he's got a big offering. Nah. Such as I have. Get up in the name of Jesus. And he'd been sitting there for how long? Tick, tock, tick, tock, tick, tock. Bam. You and I are living in the tick-tock of the purpose of God, waiting for the bam. And you need to be aware that the bam could come at any moment. He picks the moments. He picks the time. He picks the place. And he also picks us. And the real big thing for me is that can I respond? Can I see it when it's taking place? Can I respond? Can I say yes? Because I live like you, I live under a yes. You understand, when God put Adam in the garden, there were a thousand yeses and only one no. Adam, of all the trees in the garden, you may freely eat. Even the watermelon tree, yes. Especially the watermelon tree. Any one of these, he says, yes. He said, great. Now, Adam, don't bother with that tree of good and evil, the knowledge of good and evil. Adam said, okay. What is it about everything you can have, but not that one, that, that heightens and magnifies the interests of the no? When people pray to me, would you pray that I can be, in, I want to be in the will of God. I said, that's not hard. You're already in the will of God. You're there. You're, you're, you're a believer. You love Jesus. Yes, but I want to be in the perfect will of God. There is no perfect will of God. You're going to mess up. Period. Just, you say, I don't want to ever mess up. I said, then too late. <laughs> you, you already did that when you said, I don't want to mess up. I mean, just look, understand that this idea of living the perfect, that's why he gives us forgiveness. That's why the blood of Jesus is there so that when you mess up, you can say, oh, God, she made me do it. <laughs> she, she, she did. There are things that I've done that I would never have done apart from her. And I blame her. I blame God for it. I have to tell you this. And, and do you know what the, the role of the bishop is on the chessboard? Which way can the bishop move? Diagonally. All right, so that's how I preach, all right? Because I'm a bishop. <laughs> so we had, what's your name, sir? Jared. Like the jeweler? <laughs> Jared, what would you pay for one of these? Just give me Jared. 
there, there's a countenance that's resting on you and it's birthed out of the deep hunger that you have for God. And there are times when your countenance on the outside has a smile on it, but on the inside, there's this deep, deep hunger that just says, and it's saying to God, I'm not satisfied. Honey, would you come here for a second? And this is, this is your season. God has laid his hand upon you for a whole lot more. And what he's waiting for you to say to him is just yes. Not, God, tell me what to do and I'll do it. God is simply saying, we don't work that way in the kingdom. You tell me you'll do it and I'll tell you what I want you to do. And so there's a, there's a response that you have before God. And it's, it's like, Jared, what do you want to do? There's this broad world out there and there's a, something that God is wanting you to embrace that's been in your heart. You think it's, it's an overheated imagination. But God is saying the desires that are in your heart are desires that I've placed upon you. And you're going to run your walk in something. She came into my life and she brought all kinds of stuff. A lot of it good. But we were arguing one day. Well, we weren't arguing. We were having intense fellowship. <laughs> and uh, so I decided I didn't want to talk to her. But I needed a religious reason not to do that. So I went on a three-day fast. And I shut her out. And God spoke to me for three days. And he just opened his heart to me. And the end of the third day, I, I said, God, is there anything else you want to say to me? He said, yes, go tell your wife. Ask her to forgive you for treating me, treating her like you did. And I said, God, I'll give you three more days of fasting. <laughs> is, is that funny? To you? Does that, that feel familiar? Okay. Anyway. I came out and she said, did God say anything to you? And I said, yes. And I told all, the, all four things that God said to me. And she said, did he say anything else? And I told her one more thing that God had said. And she said, and did he say anything else? And I said, yeah, he told me I should ask you to forgive me for treating you like that. She said, he told me he was going to tell you that. And I wanted to go back in because I felt betrayed by God. You... You will feel betrayed by God too sometimes. Is, this, is your wife here? Yeah. Where is she? Oh, come here. What's her name? Nikki. Is it Nikki? Nikki. That's her birth name? No. Her, her birth name is Nicole. Okay. Come on. Hold this hand. Grab this hand. Hey, would you all stretch your hands out towards This is Tick Tock. I feel like God is saying that there are three opportunities, great opportunities that's going to come to you both, especially uh, with you because the decision making really rests with you. But three opportunities that's going to change the direction of your lives. You've been a person that you've loved the Lord, but it's been hard for you to say yes right away. But all of that is going to change because the opportunities that are going to come, you have to take them when they come. We don't want them to pass you by because it's going to literally change the two of your lives. In Jesus' name. Say radical faith, radical obedience, radical giving. God's not setting you up for failure. He's setting you up for success. He's setting this house up for success. And some of the things that he's calling you to will look like, if I do that, I have the potential for losing everything. But you also have the potential for gaining things that you could never have gained if he hadn't given you the opportunity. Father, I just release in this precious couple a favor that only you can supply to them. And I just speak blessing in the name of Jesus upon them, their family, upon their friends, their environment. God, I pray now that even as you open Abraham's eyes to see the ram in the bush, that Jared would now begin to see what's in front of him just because he said yes. And we speak blessing on him 
upon Nikki in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, that this couple represents the kind of couples, the kind of people that you're sending to this house. They'll come in and they will go out. There is going to be a release of your spirit in this house, in this season, in Jesus' name. And we say, tick, tock, tick, tock, tick, tock, bam. You're in the bam moment, sir. Jacob had a quantum encounter. He was running from his brother. And Genesis 28, 10, 11, 12 says he lighted on a certain spot. He had no idea that he had lighted on a certain spot. He just happened. And that's one of the things that I want to get you sensitive to this idea of the happening moments in which you didn't choose the spot, the spot chose you. Jacob lighted on the spot, say lighted. He just happened to lay down on a place where his grandfather Abraham had offered sacrifices and he didn't know it. But when he awakened, he had had an encounter with God. Would you say encounter? He had an encounter with God in which he said, how awesome is this place it is none other than the house of God, and I did not know it. And in that moment, he made a commitment to God. The moment you realize you are in that place, the moment you realize that you are in the there, that's the there that God has for this house and what he has for this region. God chooses places. And he doesn't choose places based upon fame. He doesn't choose places based upon location. He chooses places based upon his sovereignty. And every now and then, we need to say, God, thank you for choosing us. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what you had in mind all along. This is God's doing. It's his purpose. When Jacob awakens from that place, he realizes and he pours the oil on one of the stones that he'd been resting on. The rabbis say you never pour oil on a stone that doesn't have blood on it. Abraham had offered sacrifices between Bethel and Ai. And here is Jacob who somehow late in the evening finds a place to sleep and he just happens to light upon the place where he's grabbed. So we are digging wells. Some of you have no idea where the wells are, but you'll be digging and all of a sudden you realize this has a funny feeling to it. I feel like I've been here before. Yogi Berra called it Vuja Day. Others called it Deja Vu. When you're there and you just say, do you have a feeling? Do you have a feeling you've been here before? And I think in the, the Old Testament and in other places, they called those thin places. It can be a moment or it can be a geographical place. It can be somewhere in the Bible. There are verses in the Bible that you will come across and all of a sudden the hair on your head will go up and you'll just say, ooh, mm. and you, you'll, you'll close it and you'll go back to it and ooh, it's still there. Redigging the wells don't necessarily know, mean that you know where those wells are. Redigging the wells means, God, we want to find what you're doing in the earth. If you'll get us there, sometimes we'll get us. Have you ever sing a song? And that song wasn't, uh, it was one of those spontaneous songs. It wasn't on your song list. But you start to sing it and you realize, boy, this song's got oil on it. That's one of those moments. Get ready for those seasons. And you get ready by saying, yes. Yes. Close your eyes.
Lord, whatever you're doing in this season, don't do it without me. Don't do it without me. Lord, whatever you're doing in this season, don't do it without me. Don't do it without me. Sing that with me. together, composing something that you need to have in order for us to become what you've called us to become. If you're willing to say to God, Whatever you want to do in this season, you can use me. If you're willing to be a part of this significant moment that God's doing, and you're ready to say yes without any bargaining, I just want you to stand with us. Yuri, could you come stand with me, please? I said to I said to Barbara, just as you came up on to lead us in that time, I said, I really like him. Because last summer I asked him, I said, Will you be my friend? And it just took him a long time to respond. But he did, he did. And, and the reason, and I, I felt like that I need him to know that there is something that God is doing in this area that I want to be a part of, that I want to, want to serve you in whatever way I can because I'm a revival hunter. Catch the fire, catch the wave, catch the spirit. And I want to be a part of any group that's going after God and simply saying to God, our location is not the issue. It's our devotion to the God who is calling us to a place of service. Would you stretch your hands toward a father? the first man in the Bible who is, who is filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit of wisdom to build the tabernacle. I believe you're a father. And there are people coming to this area from places far and wide, big city places, who have heard that God is moving in Amish country. 
part of that. They're going to come with issues. Some of them are going to come with stuff. And the bigger your heart is to receive them, the bigger God will pour out his blessing. Don't look at them and just say, boy, he's got a thousand tattoos. Love him anyway. Because what God wants to do, he wants to reach anybody and everybody in a place, like the young man said, real families here, real community. Say, I want revival. I want God's presence. I'm willing to pay the price to say yes and give him radical obedience, radical faith, radical giving. I would you stretch your hands toward this apostle and say, do what's in your heart. Here we are, according to your desire. No more arguments. Amen. Thank you so much, Bishop Robinson.